Hi guys, I'm Marie. And I'm Maddie. And we are here recording Lost in the Woods for the second time today. Basically, we were halfway through recording our episode today, and for some reason, the computer froze up and it deleted our entire recording. So, it's like 7 o'clock at night, which I know doesn't seem that late to the average person, but... We do have to get up early tomorrow. We kind of had a long day, so we were very cranky about it. We're getting over it. We're moving on. So, how's everyone doing? I hope everybody's being safe and keeping sane during this crazy time right now. We have things opening back up where we live, which is super cool. We have restaurants open. I was able to go to the mall today. Yeah, Maddie went to the mall today, which I don't want to do ever. Don't worry. It was not an enjoyable time. (laughs) The amount of time someone asked me to put hand sanitizer on or pestered me about a mask. Not worth it. Not worth it. It wasn't. I I really think mall is worth it no matter what. No. But everyone was also staring at me like a bad mom walking through the mall with my child. Both of us unmasked. she, She took Phoenix with her. And they do look a lot alike. I think they look like sisters, but apparently a lot of people think she's like a teen mom. Which she would have had to have Phoenix when she was, what, 14? So today we are talking about the death of Tony Henthorne. So I don't know if you guys have heard about this case or not. It might sound familiar. It, it's a very publicized case. Uh, I think Dateline did something on it. 48 Hours did something on it. And you'll kind of see why it's so popular and why so many people have talked about it. But we're going to kind of get into it. And we did spend a lot of time finding information that we hadn't heard yet. So hopefully if you have heard this story, you'll get to hear things that you didn't already know. Because I learned a ton more about this case while researching than I had already heard. Oh yeah, and by the way, if you happen to hear popping sounds or anything that sounds like a raging fire, it's because we have one in our backyard right now. So, little ambience for you, but you might hear it throughout the episode. Yes. So, Toni Henthorne was 50. She was from Mississippi, but lived in Colorado. Yep. She was an eye eye doctor. (laughs) Ompthologist? How do you say that? Ompthologist? Ompthologist? She was an eye doctor. It's fine. She was an eye doctorist. Okay, anyway... (laughs) So she was also an accomplished pianist who sung in the choir at church, and she was married to a man named Harold, like Harold in the Purple Crayon. Love that book. That was one of your favorite books. So the two had actually met on a Christian dating site in 1999. I'm mind boggled that there were dating sites in 1999. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I don't exactly <laughs> know why, but it just. I don't think it was like an app on well, the like, phone. It was you had to go to your computer and you had to like log into a website and stuff. Okay, so both had been married before. Her marriage ended in divorce, and his wife had actually died in a car accident. So it kind of seemed that they were both getting a second chance. And they married only nine months after meeting. Like we said, she was an eye surgeon, and he was actually a wealthy fundraising consultant for nonprofits like hospitals and churches. So they both had successful, established careers at this point in their lives. So then after years of trying, they had finally had their daughter named Haley. This was kind of a big deal. They both wanted children. They'd both been trying for children for a long time. So this was a very like happy event. And the family enjoyed golfing and snowshoeing, skiing, hiking. 
all those fun outdoor activities. Although Tony could not actually ski anymore because of her niece. She had bad knees. So for their 12th wedding anniversary, which was in September of 2012, Harold started planning their anniversary trip to the Rocky Mountains. And this was going to be a surprise trip. So Harold had asked Tony's co-worker, Tammy. Don't get it confused. I know, Tony Tammy. So Tammy secretly cleared her schedule so they could have the trip as a surprise. So basically he came into her work on a Friday. She thought she had patience all afternoon. And then they put him into an exam room and she went in like he was a patient because she thought he was a patient and they were videotaping it. It was like this nice, fun surprise. But he had even packed her bags for her, which I maybe I have control issues. But I, <laughs> but I would not want someone to pack <laughs> no, my bag. I want to pack my own bag. Thank you. Okay, so they headed off to the Rocky Mountains. They stayed at a nearby lodge. And at 1.45 p.m. the next day, they headed up the Deer Mountain Trail. A little about this particular trail. They had originally planned on hiking the Bear Lake Trail, which was a half-mile paved handicap accessible trail so very easy basically it's a walk you walk out you see some views you call it good at the last minute to avoid crowds they changed their mind and decided to hike the deer mountain trail which was a lot harder a lot harder from the bear lake yes from the from the deer (laughs) so not hard for what for us but hard for somebody with knee problems and hard for somebody who was maybe planning on a much easier hike So this one was three miles, 1,200 feet in elevation gain, which would have been difficult for Tony, I would think, with her knee issues. Yeah, she had had three knee surgeries, so I would assume... Yeah, she was a basketball player back in the day. So she was really big into sports. She did have a lot of knee issues, so it might have been a more difficult one for her. But after hiking a ways, they actually left the trail. And what have we said about this? Don't Don't go off the trail, you guys. You die. You die if you go off the trail. (laughs) Not everybody dies when they go off the trail. Everybody dies. But don't go off the trail. When they left the trail to head for a viewpoint, Tony actually ended up falling off of a 140-foot cliff. Oh, I can't. The fear of that, I cannot even imagine falling off of a cliff like this. Yeah, no. The last picture on her camera was taken at 5 o'clock. Which is around the time that Harold had claimed Tony fell. Right. So he said that it took him about 45 minutes to hike down to where she had landed. Which I feel like could be an accurate... Yeah, honestly, it would be really difficult. If I can find a picture of this cliff, I'll post it. But it's very steep. It's very, it would be very difficult to traverse down to this when you don't have a trail and when you're panicked because your wife just fell off of the cliff. What does bother me about this is that his call to 911 didn't come in until 5.55 p.m. Which I'm just saying that if I were to watch my wife fall off a cliff. You would call 911 immediately. I would call 911 literally when she fell. And the reason he claims that he didn't call 911 is that he didn't have service. But he does talk to the 911 operator from where his wife is at, which should have the same service or worse service than where he was previously right above that. So I don't know about that. We weren't there. We don't know what kind of signal it had. I'd be interested to test that. So we're going to play about four minutes of the 911 call for you. You guys can make up your own 
decisions about it, I guess. Yeah. We'll kind of talk about it a little bit afterwards. But I, I'm playing such a long portion of it. I try not to play long portions like this. But I, I think it's kind of an important call. It's kind of important to see where his state of mind is and how he's interacting with the operator. Yes. So here's that call. Hi, my mama, Tedros, the emergency. Hello, my name is Harold Hedthorne. I'm in the Rocky Mountain National Park. Okay. I need an Alpine Mountain Rescue Team immediately. Okay, what is your exact location? My exact location is Deer Mountain, North okay. Summit. About okay. One mile, about one mile south of the visitor center. Okay, I'm going to transfer you to the park, so hang on the line. You'll hear some, you're going to hear some clicking, and right now I'm pulling up your Latin, your long, okay. um, on my phone here. Let me try it one more time before I transfer you, because they don't have this. Can I, can I make sure you know where I am first? Okay. Can you hear something? Yep, I have one okay. moment. Okay, okay. Hang on. Can we stay right where I am? And I'll introduce who we are when they pick up the phone. This is Estes, and we have a gentleman on Deer Mountain. Go ahead, sir. Thank you. My wife has fallen from a rock on the north summit of Deer Mountain. On the Deer Mountain Trail, when she's in really critical condition, she's had a bad fall. Her heart is about
Okay, so I'm going to hang up with you. If you want to leave your phone on, that makes you feel better. Definitely yeah. do that. Um, you can call us if anything changes with her. I will call you. I'll call you exactly 6:30. At exactly 6:30. Yeah, I'll call you exactly 6:30. Okay, and like I said, you can always call 911 and they'll transfer it over. Okay, thanks so much. Thanks, okay. Kelly. Thank you. So that was a portion of the 911 call. Right, and we'll actually talk about the entire 911 call, but that was just four minutes of it. So if you hear something that you didn't hear in the call, that's why. So immediately, he gives a lot of detail. Right. And he knows their exact location. Yeah, he actually does give the 911 operator the coordinates, right? So this kind of set me on edge a little bit when I was listening to him talk about her heart rate and her breathing. He asks for a flight for life, which this is kind of a dangerous area to be trying to drop somebody in even by helicopter. I don't really see that happening. When he gives them his coordinates and she asks him if he has GPS, he says no. He says no, which I think the reason she asks that is because he's giving a very accurate location to where they're at and he says that he's using a topographic map which so I don't know if any of you guys have read a topographical map but it is no never (laughs) Madison has not I have they can be difficult to read or to pinpoint your exact location but I I never got any indication that he was proficient at reading them so it's kind of interesting that he's giving them this information it would take the first ranger hours to get to them And you guys, it's starting to get dark by this point. At 6.15, Barry, Tony's sister, received a phone call. Harold yelled at him to check his phone. He said it twice, too. Yeah, like, check your phone, check your phone. And then he hung up. Barry finds his cell phone, and he had a bunch of messages from Harold. And I'm going to read you these messages because I find them kind of strange. Apparently, Harold likes his dot, dot, dots, which I've always thought are kind of strange. It's an old person thing. I don't know. I don't use dot, dot, dots in mine. I didn't call you old, did I? Oh, thanks. (laughs) Okay, so this is basically what he says. The first message. Barry, dot, dot, dot. Urgent, dot, 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 dot. Tony is injured, dot, dot, dot. In Estes Park, dot, dot, dot. Fall from rock. That's message one. Message two is critical, dot, dot, dot. Requested flight for life. Number three EMT Rangers on way. Number four, please come to Denver next flight. Number five, low cell bat. Number six, please return message. To which Barry responds, got message, do I need to call for help? It's kind of strange. I I think this exchange is kind of strange because if I was in this situation, and I know everybody handles stress differently, but if I was in this situation, one, I probably wouldn't be texting anyone. Two, if I had to call Barry to get him to look at his phone, I would have just told him what was going on. Right then and there. Why would you tell him to check his text messages? And then three, if I did send a message, I would have sent the message and then been done with it. Why does Barry need to respond? You do not need to be worried about what Barry's doing right now. You need to be worried about what's going on with your wife. Your dying wife who just fell off a cliff. Right? So that's kind of strange. Around the same time that... Harold is concerned with Barry returning his text messages. Ranger Mark, he does have a last name, but I just called him Ranger Mark. Mark. He was headed up the trail, so this is about 6.15 again. He has a 40-pound pack. Which is, that's heavy. Which, that's heavy. That I mean, that's almost twice what my pack is. 
that's a big pack. But he's got emergency life-saving equipment that he needs to be carrying. Yeah, so so it makes sense that his pack is going to be heavy, right? 15% of your body weight, guys. So that's how heavy your pack should be. So 40-pound pack, he's trying to get there, and he's booking it. I mean, he's hiking like well, yeah. like our speed like up this you. mountain. Yeah. So the problem comes about an hour in, he's got to go off trail now to find Harold and Tony. Because they left the trail. Remember, they're yeah. not they're on not... the main trail. And you heard Harold giving directions as to where they are. We're between this peak and this peak and But all good of thing that. he gave them coordinates, right? Oh, no. wait. Oh, wait. The coordinates are not right. So he's definitely having trouble finding him. It takes him a little longer to get there. He does start using his whistle when he gets close to where he thinks Harold is, and Harold starts responding with his whistle. So they're whistling back and forth. We have I think whistles. I have a whistle on my yeah, backpack. Yeah, they're actually built onto our backpack straps, and I think a lot of backpack straps have that now. Even Phoenix has a whistle. And every single time that I put her backpack on her, I tell her, don't blow your whistle. People will think you're in trouble. And what does she do? Blow her whistle. She blows her whistle. Look, Mom, it works. Unfortunately, when Ranger Mark got to the scene, Tony was already dead. So at 841, Harold has sent Barry a text message saying, she's gone. Dot, 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 dot. A terrible way to tell your wife's brother that she died. Well, and normally if you're able to send a text message, you're able to send a phone call. Like, that is a normal thing. But what we will find out later is that he's messaging a lot of people. By the time that Harold and the ranger got back to their car, it was almost midnight because they had to wait for the next two rangers to get there because they were going to stay there at the scene with Tony until her body could safely be recovered because it's the middle of the night now. They don't want to leave her. They've got to get Harold back as well. He takes Harold back to the trailhead where two of Harold's friends are waiting in the lot for him. Which is also, I find weird because... I do too, because I would not be thinking about how I was going to get home. I'd be thinking I'd be taking my car. I wouldn't even think about it. The rangers need to keep the vehicle there, right? But if I'm Harold in that situation, I've not even thought about... The fact that they're going to make me keep my car there. Right. I would never have even considered that. And that would be the last thing on my mind. And I would probably, once we started heading back to the trailhead, I would either think I was going to take my car or ranger... Mark. Mark is going to give me a ride home. Like, that's where my head is. So I think that's kind of strange. He had actually gotten off the phone with dispatch because he didn't want his phone battery to die. Yep, so this is the next red flag for me. After hanging up with dispatch, he made 22 phone calls. How much battery does that take? A lot. And he sent or received 98 text messages. That's like an immense amount of text messages. So he got off the phone with 911 and he didn't turn his phone off, power it down, put it in airplane mode, nothing. He sat around sending and receiving text messages. He even told his friends that he messaged to come pick him up what route they should take to get there. Just so weird. Yeah. So initially the story was that Tony was lagging behind when Harold tried to find her and realized that she had fallen off the cliff. Yep. The second story was that Harold was looking down at his phone when he saw a blur out of the corner of his eye, and when he turned to look in that direction, Tony was gone. Another story is that Tony was taking a picture of Harold and fell backwards off the cliff. 
Another story was that she had seen some wild turkeys and was trying to get closer to them, which I'm sorry, a wild turkey might be rare here. We don't really have wild turkeys running around. Oh my god, if I saw a wild turkey, I'd be like, what the actual hell is going on? I'd be kind of scared. I'm kind of scared of turkeys. It's a long story, but I'm kind of scared of turkeys. But wild turkeys was not something unusual for Tony because in Mississippi, where she's from, there's wild turkeys everywhere. So her family is like, no, she's not going to care about a wild turkey. But But we don't know. Another story is that she was trying to take a picture of wildlife while he was trying to figure out his new phone, and then she was just gone. Yeah, so all of these stories came out in a matter of 48 hours. So all of these people that he's calling, talking to, texting, he's basically giving all of them different stories, which is so bizarre. So initially he told the detective the story of her trying to get the photo of the wild turkey. Right, and the ranger was like, that doesn't really make sense to me. Are there wild turkeys in Colorado? Because Our the Colorado ranger... listeners, please tell us. Yeah, because the ranger is saying it doesn't make sense that she was trying to take a picture of a wild turkey. So is it because that, that's not a real thing there? Or because it's, it's a thing there, they're everywhere, and nobody cares about them and wouldn't risk I their would life assume for that it? there are wild turkeys there since he would make up a story about it. Someone tell us if... We, we need to know if there's wild turkeys everywhere. That was the story that he initially gave detectives. They said it didn't make sense. Then he claimed that they actually went to get a better view. Then Ranger Mark told him that the view was the same, so that didn't make sense again. Right, from where like they started to the more dangerous area that they hiked down to. So then Harold said, okay, you got me. We actually were looking for a more secluded spot to have sex. Which, I'm sorry, this would not be a good place to do that. Trust me. Why, why would you go to a cliff? This is not where I would go. No, that's what I'm saying. So you would want a more secluded area and a less dangerous death trap area. Yeah, seriously. You guys, uh, I literally can't. I don't can. know about that. I don't know about I don't, that. I don't, I, don't, I don't buy that at all. And if you see, when you see this area, you'll kind of understand why this would not be a good place to do that. To each their own, but pick a different spot. This is not a good place for that. He also mentioned, which this comes up later, but he also mentioned that they had seen a white sheet that was like hanging from a rock and that they were headed in that direction, but it seemed too dangerous to go that way, so they decided against it. Then his story evolved into, while his wife was trying to get a picture, he said that he had gotten a message from the babysitter about Haley winning a soccer game, and then he looked up and she was gone. So then the ranger asked to see this message, and when... Harold showed him the message. He noted that the message was sent at 5.54. Which, if you guys remember correctly, 911 was called at 5.55. So, so that doesn't make sense. She apparently fell at 5, so... Exactly, that's what I mean. Lie, lie, lie. It doesn't make sense. Okay, so Harold did say that he had been in the area once before, but wasn't very familiar with it. Mm-hmm. Then the police asked if there was any life insurance policy. And Harold did admit that there was a million dollar life insurance policy, but he said that it was set up to go into a trust for their daughter, Haley. How do I? You want something that you're going to get if I die? Thanks. (laughs) Well, yeah. I don't even have to worry about you dying for a while. You're an adult. You're an adult. You can go make your own money. I ain't giving you shit. So family and friends were struggling. And having trouble understanding the way that Harold was handling his grief. Which, remind you, everybody does handle grief very differently. I totally agree. I think that some people 
are in shock for longer. I think, you know, grief isn't linear. You just have no idea how yeah. people are going to deal with it. I'm not sure that that means anything to me, but if you're already suspicious of someone and then they're handling grief in an unusual way, that's where it becomes yeah, suspicious, right? Yeah, that's where right? it's like, okay, I have suspicions about you killing her and then you're like, uh, yeah. you're not really handling your grief very... Yeah, you're creeping like, us the fuck out. Yeah. What are you doing? So police did immediately start to investigate this accident because they were suspicious from the onset. So he sent a ton of text messages to people about the incident long after it already happened. Into the next morning, he was sending people messages as if this was currently happening. Yeah, and when we say that, you guys, we're talking about he was sending messages, urgent, dot, dot, dot. Tony is injured, dot, dot, dot. Things like that. After he's already back at his hotel, long after it's already happened and over with, he is still corresponding with people like it's happening in the moment, which I think is so strange and so weird. And they say that this was not a service issue. He was actually drafting and sending these messages after the fact, not... He tried to send these messages from the mountain and they didn't go through, Which, but they went through even later. Even if he was sending them from the mountain. I think that's weird too, because you guys, he was messaging people that he hadn't talked to in months or even years. <coughs> Ew, you spit on me. It was a spitty sneeze. Cover your fucking I did! Mouth, did you yeah? not just watch me? No, you obviously didn't do a good job. You let you let spray out. Well yeah. Do you see how small my arm is? What's this <laughs> supposed to cover? Not my problem. You have a t giant ass t-shirt on. Cover your face. Okay. I. So, you guys, he even texted his former sister-in-law, Grace. Like, from his last marriage. So, after this had all gone down, everyone received a message. My bride is gone. Dot, dot, dot. What? You guys, I literally cannot handle this. I don't, I don't know why somebody calling their wife their bride grosses me out is it's weird to me it feels feel like, weird to me like i think it's one thing to call your wife your bride on your wedding day that's one maybe thing, maybe maybe even then it's kind of weird this is a big red flag nail in the coffin yeah so the ranger who actually searched the hawthorne's vehicle she found a map of the park and there was an x in the same spot where tony had fallen off the cliff so when you look at this picture, and I'll post it, it looks like it says here, and there's an X on the map, and it's in the exact spot where she fell. I don't like that. It's a little suspicious for me. Yeah, I don't like it. Her autopsy. Mm -hmm. So she had lost a third of her blood from a head wound. And you guys, this head wound was pretty gnarly so it basically and you they talk think about it, was, it i'm gonna plug my ears and <laughs> they think it was caused by a tree uh near the bottom where she landed and it basically cut a wound on her forehead that almost scalped the top of her head off because it was so deep so she landed on her right side she'd broken 12 ribs fractured two vertebrae and had a punctured lung yeah and this is super disturbing so her shoes were actually found near her body but they were still tied and had actually the force of her hitting the ground had knocked her shoes off. I do not like that. Also, what I don't like at all is that it doesn't appear that she had tried to grab anything on the way down. Okay, so this is interesting. When you slip and fall off of a cliff, you tend to be kind of close to the cliff edge, right? Yeah. So you 
reach and you claw and you grab for anything that you anything you can hold can. on to to stop yourself from falling. Yes, and if you are pushed off of a cliff, you tend to be propelled back away from the wall of the cliff, so you're unable to reach and grab yeah. for anything. She had no severe damage to her hands. Like, everything seemed fine. There was no distress on the cliffside where she might have grabbed or hit along the way on her way down. Yeah, because if you, like, slip off a cliff, you're not... Right? So when I was backpacking in Utah and I had to go down that really huge cliff, which was probably actually about the same... Same size. The same size. It was huge. And at one point, my foot did slip because I had my my huge backpack on and you're trying to like hug the wall and, and slide down and you have to kind of zigzag across to find places to put your feet and your hands because the rope was missing. I know we talked about that last week a little bit. But at one point when I slipped, I literally like was, I, I mean, I had scrapes on the back of my legs and I had rock in my fingernails and I broke two nails off trying to grab for something to hold on to. Oh no, you broke a nail? Oh, I she's saying it like that because I literally could care less about my nails. But my instinct was to try to grab on to anything that I possibly could to keep myself from falling. So I, I think it's interesting that there was no sign of that. So her death was ruled as undetermined, which they have the option, right? Homicide, accident, undetermined. There's one more. I have no idea. Okay. Suicide? Maybe. Oh, it might be suicide. So, but they chose undetermined because they could not determine whether it was a fall or a push. So I do have a little baby theory on this particular incident is the last picture that's taken of Harold. He's standing on said cliff and he is holding onto a tree branch. Kind of like for dear life, it looks like. He takes a picture where he's looking out at the view. And my thought is that maybe after Tony took this picture of him, he insisted on taking one of her in the same spot. So when her back was turned to him. Yep. Because Tony, and we'll talk about this later, but she had trouble telling him no. He was very controlling and very dominant in their relationship. So if he insisted on going on this trip if he insisted on taking this picture she would go along with it even you know changing their their hike trail she would go along with it probably when they interviewed the 911 dispatcher that had talked to Harold mm-hmm. she had a lot of red flags with their conversation yep she couldn't hear him go through any of the steps of CPR yeah which if you guys have ever given somebody CPR before it's hard it's hard and it's tiring and it, it it's a very stressful thing. And so along the way, she's like, do you want me to count for you? Do you want me to do this for you? And he really doesn't seem interested in her help at all. And he doesn't sound winded like he's been giving her CPR either. Yeah. That was kind of a red flag to her. And she's actually coached over 240 people through CPR on the phone. And never has she had this situation where she felt like he wasn't actually giving her CPR. She had no damage from CPR. Which a lot of times that does happen in CPR when it's done properly. Also, this is kind of interesting. And maybe me and Madison are not lipstick wearers, but maybe some of y'all can let us know about this. Her lipstick was not smeared or smudged at all. 
which I'm sorry if somebody's giving you CPR, I don't care how good your lipstick is. I feel like it's not going to be in perfect condition on your lips. So you can see in the pictures before the fall that she, her lipstick is intact. It looks good, right? She's a lipstick wearer and it still looks like that when Weird. the Rangers get there. Is there a magical lipstick that just would not come off during hours of CPR? Because if there is, anybody who's a lipstick wearer should probably look into it. They also determined that she most likely died 20 to 60 minutes after her fall. Which, you guys, he doesn't even call 911 until almost an hour after her fall. So my question is, was she even alive when he called 911? Also, he had moved Tony's head so that her head was not elevated. Yeah, so he said that he moved her body to a more flat location to perform CPR. But when he moved her, he moved her into a spot where her head was actually lower than her body. Which, if you know anything about first aid, which... He claims to be he certified. He claims to be certified and has bragged to people about knowing first aid and CPR and all of that. So it's kind of a strange thing for him to do. And that also was a red flag for investigators in this case. So the Monday after she died, Harold called in all of the insurance policies. Which, by the way, was not $1 million for their daughter. Not even close. We'll get to that later. Yeah. Also, within five days, Tony had been cremated, and this really went against the wishes of her family. Rubs me the wrong way when that happens, when something goes against the family's wishes. Yeah, and to play devil's advocate a little bit, I could see a husband and wife maybe talking more about something like that than a family would necessarily talk about it. Investigators also, at this time, learn about a little incident that happened in 2011. This actually happened at the couple's mountain cabin. The story comes out that at around 10 p.m., Harold was doing some construction. Why are you doing construction at 10 p.m.? I don't know. And a heavy beam fell on Tony. Her vertebrae was fractured, and she even had lingering numbness in her left hand from this incident. There were multiple stories that came out about what happened. Once again. Shocking. But it was ruled an accident. Tony had said that she was under the deck picking up stuff at Harold's request when the beam had struck her. She said that if she hadn't been bending down to pick something up when the beam hit her, it would have actually hit her in the head if she hadn't been bending down at the time. And she believes that it would have killed her. Okay, so their friends Lee and Rory said that Harold had been acting strange. Well, and I think Lee and Rory are the ones that came to pick up their daughter Haley in order for him to take Tony to the hospital when this incident happened. Okay, okay. So one thing that everybody kind of thought was strange when this happened was he never even called her family or friends. The only people he called were them to babysit. Well, maybe that's why he was texting everyone so much during this incident because he didn't do it the last time he tried to and people thought it was suspicious so this time he decided to over text people to make it i actually think you might be onto something there well and it's funny too because he really did downplay this incident when he described it to family and friends when it did come up later on down the line he made it sound like, oh, yeah, I threw a board, it hit her. This accident concerned their friends and family. I think there was some doubt around whether or not 
this was an accident. Yeah. Even even back then. Side note, it probably wasn't an accident. So it started to come out that Harold had been very controlling, and the more investigators questioned friends and family, the more suspicious they got. One thing that Harold kind of did in their relationship was he seemed to isolate her from her family. So they got married, they moved away. She never saw her friends and family by herself. She never talked to them on the phone by herself. So she would only talk to friends and family on speakerphone with him in the room. So she had these really close relationships that kind of fell apart once her and Harold were together. And so people didn't really know what exactly was going on. There were times too when Tony expressed to her mother that she was surprised at how little money the family actually seemed to have. So they had borrowed money from time to time and she made really good money and Harold made really good money in his job too. But she said that when she would actually look at their accounts, because Harold controlled all of their finances, she said when she would actually look at the accounts, she was surprised at how little money was actually in them. Weird. I know. So he was like either stashing or using the money? Doing something. Um, we'll see. After expressing this concern about finances to her mother, her mother actually suggested that maybe Harold wasn't actually working. So her mom had had these suspicions, but she had not been able to talk to Tony about them because it was very rare that they were able to have a conversation. Yeah. And this was one of those rare times where she actually got to see Tony without Harold in the room. And she suggested that she thought maybe Harold was lying. And she also insinuated that the beam falling on her might not have been an accident. The evidence is really starting to stack up if you don't think that Harold's trying to kill his wife by now. Right? Well, and his mom even told her, maybe don't be alone with him. Like, she was concerned for her daughter's safety. And this is your husband. I know. Jesus. People aren't, people aren't liking Harold too much. No. So, he was also very controlling with their daughter. Yeah, you guys, he kept a video monitor in her room. No. In, and she's seven at this point. So, he yeah. still has a video monitor in her bedroom. The only reason I support any kind of video monitoring is, like, when you're monitoring your baby. Yes. Or like young toddlers yes. is another thing as well if they right. take naps and stuff. I've always done it the old-fashioned way where I hear crying and I go running in. Yeah, so he kept a video monitor. He had very strict rules for her. Tony wasn't even allowed to put her to bed. That was Harold's job. So just very kind of strange things. So Tony's work said that Harold really creeped them out and that he would even come to like their meetings. Yeah, and give input on things, which was not his place at all. Know your place, Harold. Know your place, Harold. Tony also wasn't allowed to take patients out of her normal schedule without checking with him first. Like, this was a rule in the office. Tony's father, Bob, his response to the news that his daughter had fallen off the cliff was he pushed her immediately. If that is a parent's immediate reaction... Concerning. Very concerning. Very concerning. So this is kind of crazy. Law enforcement received 16 tips suggesting that police investigate the fall. 16 people in Tony's life, thought this is not an accident. That's crazy. That's 16 people. Crazy. Oh, this is kind of weird. When Tony was found, the diamond from a ring was missing, which is $30,000, by the way. Yeah, so very expensive. Like, it's the 
her center diamond from her engagement or from her wedding band is missing when she's found. Investigators scour looking for this diamond. They're wondering where it went. Could it have fallen? Because there was no significant damage to her left hand. So, so, like, why would her diamond fall off? Well, and diamonds can get dislodged depending on how they're mounted and things like that. So that doesn't concern me very much. But get this. Harold had been getting a ton of questions and pressure about this diamond because the FBI did not believe that she had lost it in the fall. So they're pressuring him about this diamond. And then the next time they go out to the crime scene, the diamond is just sitting right there visible in plain sight out in the open. And this is after months of it being missing. So basically what I'm hearing is that he took the diamond out of her ring so that no one could like... I think he took the diamond out of her ring to hawk it later on down the line to not lose that $30,000 in case he needed it. And when he got all the pressure about it, he decided to put it back. And that's what investigators thought too. Because we've got all this time going by. We've got all these people trompsing through this area. Rain. Yeah. The weather. There's no way the diamond's just going to, like, the diamond's tiny. It was was pretty big, but. In January of 2013, the Douglas County Sheriff's Department received a letter. This letter was from the Department of Interior. So this department oversees the country's national parks. And they're basically cops with a scenic office. And this is crazy. The letter said, you should take a second look at something that you thought you were done with. Guess, guess, guess. The case was the 1995 death of Lynn Henthorne. Dun, dun, dun. She had died on May 6, 1995. Lynn and her husband, Harold. Make that connection. Yeah, have you, have you made the connection? Have you made it yet? Did you make it? So Lynn and her husband, Harold, were driving on a remote road. Harold thought he was getting a flat tire, so he pulled over to change it. That seems logical, right? Somehow, the Jeep would end up falling on his wife. And this, wait, wait, this death was ruled as a car accident? Nope, he just told people it was a car accident. But it was ruled as an accident. So this is what happened. They pull over to change the, they call it a soft tire, it's not actually flat. And actually, the tire that he's replacing it with is about the same as the tire he takes off the car. But at 9.30 p.m., a local mechanic, that seems like a good person to have in your corner when you're on the side of the road with a flat tire, right? Drove by and asked if they needed any help. But Harold declined. In that situation, for me personally, I'm thinking, oh, some guy pulls up next to me and says he's a mechanic and needs to help me change my tire. Oh, yeah. And then I'm like, wait, no, I would definitely decline that. I would definitely just climb into my car and call somebody I know and not get out of my car (laughs) again. Not only that, but they don't have cell phones. They are on the side of the road. They're in a very remote area. So the mechanic asked him, well, can I at least shine my headlights for you? Because all Harold had was a tiny flashlight. And again, Harold declined. Okay, I would take that. I would take the headlights. Right? 30 minutes later, Harold flags down another vehicle telling them that his car had fallen on his wife. What's your wife doing under the car? Yeah, good question. The occupants of this vehicle are actually able to lift the car off of Harold's wife. Sometimes people have superhuman strength. Well, and I think there was like three or four of them in the car too. That makes sense. So they lift the car off of her. She's unresponsive. And against Harold's protest, they began CPR. He said no. He didn't want them to touch her. He was like, no, don't touch her. 
he did not want them to perform CPR. One of them went to call for help, which they had to drive about two miles away to call for help. The temperature was so cold by this point that two of the men took off their coats and placed them on Lynn. Harold kept his coat on though. They were actually able to get Lynn breathing again, but she would still die at the hospital. Harold's story would change multiple times. Wow. Okay? This is incredible. It's like a broken record. The first story was that Lynn was holding the lug nuts when one rolled under the car and she went to retrieve it and the car fell on her. Another discrepancy was he told one officer that they were headed to dinner and he told a different officer that they were coming home from dinner. Okay, that's kind of like a... That could be stress-induced, right? Yeah. Another thing that he said was that when he was throwing the flat tire or the not flat tire into the back of the car that's what how the car came off of the jack and landed on land because she was under the car so police had taken a picture of a suspicious shoe print on the top of the jeep's fender Mm-hmm. they also made note of the shoes that harold was wearing at the time but they never compared the two 48 hours actually did a reenactment on this scenario right so they've got a similar car, they've got similar... I, I think they even went to the same spot, maybe, on the road. One thing that they found was when lug nuts were dropped, they did not roll. Which, think about it. Think about the shape that they are. They're not yeah, going like to roll. No and it's gravel. Goes. The car is parked on gravel. Oh so God. when the lug nuts were dropped, they did not roll underneath the car. They kind of just stayed where they landed. They also put the car up on the same jack that had been used, which by the way, was not the jack that came with the car. It was a very sketchy jack that had been used instead. And the reason that Harold said he was using that jack is that the original jack was defective, but police never tested it. So they put the car up on this jack that he was using that was super sketchy, and they tried tossing the tires into the back of the Jeep to see if they could get the car to fall off of the jack. They put it in the same spot, The complete reenactment, right? The only way they could get the car to fall off of the jack was by kicking the car in the spot that that footprint had been on the fender. Mm -hmm. Weird. So a few days after Lynn's death, one of the Good Samaritans that had helped actually called police to ask if Harold had been arrested because she was suspicious of the circumstances. Well, and one of the things, this county at the time only had four deputies for the entire county. So this was a small county. All of the officers that responded to this scene were young. Also, he ended up claiming around $600,000 in life insurance policies. Yeah, which some thought were interesting because Lynn did not have a high-paying job or anything like that. So people thought it was very interesting at this time that he even had life insurance policies on her. Her policy actually paid double if her death was an accident. Another terrifying thing, police actually found a life insurance policy for Lynn's sister, Grace, for $400,000. Harold had forged it, and Grace had no idea that it existed. You know what? I'm not saying when I get married, I'm not going to get a life insurance policy or something but like that. But I'm not getting a life insurance policy but ever. But I'm definitely not getting a li- I'm not letting anyone talk me into a life insurance policy. Yeah, sorry. If my husband ever comes up to me and was like, hey, we should get some life insurance for you. Nope. Nope. No, thank you. No. I wonder if there's a database where you can check to see if anybody has life insurance policies on you. 
somebody make a database. <laughs> I'm gonna need to check it. Get life insurance policies at your own risk, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. But I need a database where I can check to see if any if I have, do I have a life insurance policy that I don't know about. I I want to know. Yeah, we want to be able to check it, guys. So somebody. Come up with a database for it. I don't know how that would work. I don't don't know. I don't even understand. Insurance companies would be required to file their life insurance policies on a national database where police or anyone else can have access to them. No? I think that sounds like a great idea. In December of 2014, the manner of Lynn's death was changed from accidental to undetermined. It's about time, guys. Obviously, it started to come out that he was very controlling in their marriage. That sounds familiar. Yeah, right? Mm -hmm. That's what I'm saying. He also wouldn't allow Lynn to talk to anyone without him being part of the conversation. Not only that, but her family and friends were having a lot of trouble accepting that she would just crawl under a jacked up car. For any reason. I wouldn't wouldn't even crawl under a jacked up car. Even before hearing this story, I don't think I would crawl under a jacked up car. No. That just sounds like a bad idea in general. Yeah, no. Federal authorities also determined that Harold wasn't working. And hadn't been for about 20 years. 20 years? That is impressive. So he had zero income coming in. Police then discovered that Tony actually had $4.7 million in life insurance. 4.7? How do I get... Actually, I don't want a $4.7 million life insurance policy. But like, how do you acquire that? That's... I don't even know. I can't imagine what the premium was on that. That's crazy. So, a year of Harold's cell phone information was compiled, and it turned out that he had been visiting the area that Tony had died a lot. Yeah. He had visited it about eight times in the last two months leading up to her death. Which, that's interesting. Sounds kind of like a scouting mission, oh, maybe. Oh, haven't been, I, I've only been here once. I don't know much about the area. Oh, that map that I marked with, with an X that says here? Oh, the unrelated. Unrelated. unrelated yeah. I've never been here in my life. They also started realizing that when Harold was on his business trips, his phone was pinging at his cabin in Panera where he would sit and surf the web for hours. Wow, good. Good job working. Now I'm going to be suspicious of any man that tells me he has a job. (laughs) Another thing that investigators realized while going over the case was the white sheet that Harold had been talking about had actually been removed by a park ranger the week before Tony had fallen off of the cliff. So obviously Harold had seen it on one of his previous trips yeah, to so the park. Yeah, so he was like, oh yeah, we saw a white... Couldn't come up with a better story there, Harold? In September 2015, the trial started. Cameras were banned from the courtroom. And part of that, I think, is because there was a lot of interest in this case. There were a lot of people wanting to go. And there were a lot of reporters interested. So basically, the prosecutor argued that the death of Lynn needed to be used in court. The defense obviously tried to keep it out of court because that's not going to help their client, right? Oh, well, not at all. If I was to look (laughs) at those two incidents, I'd be like... Right? So the judge sided with the prosecutor and the death of Lynn was allowed to be brought into the case, which was a big win for the prosecutor. Oh yeah, no, for sure. And they really focused on how basically Harold was a liar. He stood to gain a lot of money from his wife's death. Both of them. The defense really countered with, yeah, my client's a liar, but he's not a murderer. Good. Yeah, good defense. Some of the evidence, which we've talked about some of it before, Mm -hmm. but that he had visited the area about nine times. So he was scouting out the area for a good cliff. 
to push his wife off of. Yep. So the CPR that wasn't performed. Right. And we're assuming that based on the lipstick and also based on the fact that they think that she died within an hour of falling. Yeah. Too. I find that very suspicious. Also, the messages to everyone. The messages. The map. The map's pretty damning. After 10 hours of deliberation, a guilty verdict was brought forward. And I'm not terribly surprised by this. So he received a mandatory life sentence without the chance of parole. So in 2017, the 10th Circuit denied his appeal. So his argument in the appeal was that the judge should not have allowed the evidence from his first wife's death into the case. They denied it. In 2018, the Supreme Court also denied his appeal. So... Looks like you're going to be staying in jail, Harold. He also claimed that his lawyer sold him down the river, basically. So he paid his lawyer, I think, something like half a million dollars or a million dollars. And he said that he did not even mount a defense for him. Maybe Poor there was Haley just did. no defense, Harold. Maybe there was no oh, yeah. way maybe to defend Maybe there was behavior. just no way to defend it. He was married to both women for 12 years. So I've heard of the seven-year itch before. But is there something about the... So seven-year itch is like the time where a lot of spouses cheat on each other. Starts to get reckless. Yeah, yeah. So Wait a few years, then get divorced at like 10 years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so one thing that I do find very concerning is he actually spread both of his wife's ashes in the same place. I don't like on that. On Red Mountain. I don't like that. I don't like that either, actually. I find it very, like, kind of unsettling. It mm-hmm. makes me uncomfortable. I just don't like it. Okay, so a couple places that I did get information from, or if you want more information. So there's also a book on this case called The Accidents. Uh, It's by Caleb Hannon, and that goes a lot into interviews with the family and things like that. So if you're looking for more information or anything like that, there's a couple podcasts out there that have done this. So what we learned from this episode... Never get a life insurance policy. No life insurance policy. Don't ever let anyone sign a life insurance policy on you. And that a national database with that information needs to be created. Since so that clearly we can someone can put a yes, life insurance policy on can, you without you knowing. And I'm pretty sure that those actually, now anyway, I'm pretty sure that would have to be notarized. But there's ways to fake that too. So I don't know. Okay, so thank you for listening. Yeah. Thanks, thanks guys. for leaving reviews. Yes, we... Felt so much better. We got four new reviews this week. It made us feel so much better about ourselves. My annoying voice. After getting the the bad reviews. So thank you so much, everybody that left us a, a review. We really appreciate you taking the time to do that. It's amazing. Yeah. Tell your friends. Listen more. Go back and listen to episodes you haven't listened to. Yeah, for sure. What's your favorite episode? I think I'm going to have to say the... Um... The lighthouse one from Australia. What's his name? Theo Hayes. Theo Hayes. Okay. I would say that Theo Hayes would be my favorite case. I, I did like Theo Hayes. I think that... So it's a really interesting story. Like, I can't believe that he just disappeared. Hasn't been and found. Hasn't been Same found. Same with Vesper Peak. I think those, Vesper Peak. I really like those two cases, and I think that it's because I want them to be found. I want them to really be found. it so, me. Yeah, so bad, yeah. and it really bothers me that they haven't been found, and that they were so young when they had gone missing. But yeah, so go back, listen to some old cases, tell your friends. Thanks for sharing us on your social media. We love you guys. If you you share us on your story, we'll share you on our story. Yeah, we love that stuff. So let us know what you think. I don't think there's a lot of controversy on this case for whether or not he's guilty. I think there might be some people out there that think he's innocent, but I'm pretty 
sold on the guilty verdict in this one. Yeah. I think I'm sold, and especially because... But, but if you guys have a theory or something different, let us know. We'd yeah. be curious. I think that he just killed his wife. Oh, by the way, from the Star of Rock case last week, I posted on Friday the poll that we took on whether or not it was a tree or a man. And tree won by, I think, 74%. Because it's like a tree. That. It's a tree. <laughs> it's not a man. Madison's very convinced about the tree. So, uh, overwhelmingly, more people did uh, think it looked like a tree, so... In case you missed the the post in our story, I just that don't was think the result. I just don't think it looks like a man. <laughs> I think it looks like a damn tree. But yeah, thanks for voting for those of you that did. It was a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to see what you guys think. And if you're on the same page or interpreting things the same way that we do, because I know that when you research a case or hear a case, like you can have a different perspective on it. So we love hearing what everybody Yeah. But yeah, thanks for listening, you guys. You're amazing. We love you. And we'll see you next week. Next week. Next week. We'll be here. Yeah. Bye, guys.